Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our regular question mark episode <laughs> of the <laughs> Dragons. Yeah, it is our, our regular episode. Uh, for those of you who don't understand what I mean by that, we've kind of split up some of our content and we're doing our reviews and miscellaneous chatting in one episode that you'll get on the off weeks that you don't get this. So, yeah, you know, if you want the meat and potatoes of our topic, this is where you're listening to. If you want all the other sides and all those shenanigans, you got to yeah. listen to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, of course, as always, am one of your hosts, Johnny, and I am uh, joined by my lovely co-host from across the country. Yeah, I'm Kelsey. Um, we are currently doing a mini series on the spiritualist movement. So in the first episode, we kind of talked about what the spiritualist movement actually was and the beginning of it, which is the Fox sisters Um, the Fox sisters kind of kicked off the spiritualist movement. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about a very lovely woman. Um, we're going to be talking about her life in general. Um, and I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to be butchering so many names. <laughs> so many names. Um, we're going to be talking well, about the... Huh? Well, half the names and places that are going to be mentioned here are Slavic. So yes. if we have any Slavic listeners, we apologize. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we suck. <laughs> we know. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can get some of them right. Um... But yeah, today we're going to be talking about Helena Blavatsky. That is the correct pronunciation. Blavatsky. I'm getting pretty good. Um, so yeah, we're going to be just basically talking about this lovely woman in general. I have decided to put the society as a whole separate episode. So we'll talk about all the society and all the things that she brought to us um, writing-wise and um, words and stuff like that. That'll be in that next episode because I think that all that kind of is together. I don't think you can talk about the society without her writings that she did all later in and life. Trust me when I say you will thank us for that. Yes. This alone. Whew, good God. But yes. So we are going to be talking about Helena. Helen Blavatsky. Helena Blavatsky. Helena Blavatsky. Whew. And there's a lot of Helenas. God bless it. So I'm going to read this before we begin because there's a lot of Helena's because you have her grandmother, her mom, and her. Um, but I am reading The Extraordinary Life and Influence of Helena Blavatsky um, by Sylvia Granston. Um, it's kind of like she kind of pieced together all the other bi um, biographies by her, by all these other people. But she has a footnote um, Basically, you have um, Helena Pavlona. <laughs> this is going to get bad. Um, that I is would, her. I would say I would call my uh, <laughs> my Moldovan friend and ask him to translate for us. But he um, and his partner are currently at a wedding. <laughs> um. So. 
Helen, Helena was a very common first name in Russia. So um, the middle names tended to be different. So how you have like Johnson for like last names now. So it's, you know, Peter Johnson, you're Peter, son of John type thing. Um, their middle names is what became that like son or daughter of. So um, Helena Pavona, P-A-V-L-O-V-N-A, she's named after Paul. Her dad is Paul. Um, and then Helena Andrea's fame, that is her mother because her father's name was Andre. <laughs> it gets a little weird. Um, so, and then you have our Helena is Petrov Petrovia? Because her, because her father's name was Peter. So I'll be referring to as their grandmother, grandma, mom. Um, but if you are reading material, it does get rather confusing because of... There's a lot of names. But I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Alright. This is a lot of information. This woman... Whew. So... Um, we're going to start in Russia. So she was born, um, depending on what calendar you looked at, she's either born July 30th, 31st at midnight or August 12th at midnight, 1831. Um, to parents, Helena von Hahn, which is on the Andrea Vinia, the Andre, Helena Andre, um, and Peter von Hahn. Um, I'm just convinced you're making up words now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the amount of, like, I had to eventually, like, go in my notes and put grandma in mom because <laughs> I kept getting, like, there were so, there, the fact that, you know, her grandma's name is Helen and then her mom's name is Helena, it's like, God bless it. And then, like, because of her grandmother is Helena P.A. And she's Helena P.E. It gets a little... It's, it gets very confusing. And you'll see why in a minute. <laughs> um, so she was actually born premature. Um, and this is kind of a time where Russia had become Christianized. Um, so her family was actually Russian Orthodox. Heavy Russian Orthodox Christians. Huge. Um, and this kind of plays into a lot of her spiritualist stuff with the society like later in life. Um, so because she was born premature, she got baptized and literally not even being like 12 hours born. Um, and she's got two bad omens going for her. So the priest in her baptism actually caught on fire because no one was watching her niece. <laughs> <laughs> and so, for those who don't know, like, at the time during Russian Orthodox, like, um, ceremonies, everybody stood up. You know, you didn't sit down. So no one watched that the little girl had sat down with her little candle, and she just, like, catches the priest on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so that's bad omen number one. Um, bad omen number two was that she's actually born during a cholera outbreak and it is the Asian um, cholera that 
came from um, East Asia and stuff like that. Um, it's actually one of the worst plagues of cholera um, at the time. Um, it, it does have actually hit her house. There's a czar's son that actually dies. Um, but it was actually seen as a bad omen to be born during like a plague outbreak. Um, she does have one good thing going for her, which I kind of think is kind of like a precursor to like everything else later in life is that because she is born at midnight, um, she has been endowed with power over evil forces in like Russian, um, folklore. Like if you're born at midnight towards like the end of the month type thing, Hmm. like not sure how much truth that is. So this is where it might get confusing because of all the Helena's. So her maternal grandmother, her mom's mom. <laughs> I wish I could have like a family tree for visuals. <laughs> so her mom's mom was Princess Helena Pavlonia. So during the majority of her childhood, she does live with her grandma. Um, but basically the princess came from an ancient Russian family called the Dolgorovoks. D-O-L-G-R- G-O-R-U-K-O-V-S. <laughs> Sounds sorry. good to me. <laughs> um, basically, this family line can be traced back at least 10 centuries to the Grand Duke um, Rick, who is basically would later become Prince Rick, who becomes the builder of the Russian Empire. So that's where her, her mom's family basically is a very old aristocratic family. She also... Um, She's got a lot of famous people in her family. Um, like St. Michael of Kervinikoy. I don't know. And another prince. Her mother was a famous feminist writer. Um, she translated a lot of things actually into Russian. Um, that's kind of where her mom gets her start. Um, is when their father is, her father Peter, is stationed in St. Petersburg. Um, her mom starts translating all these books into Russian so for that people can read them um, because she could read in like three different languages including English um, but obviously not everyone can read in English so um, I mean I can't even read in English half the time I know um, <laughs> and then her um, aunt Countess Ida Han Han um, she was also another famous feminist writer at the time um, her grandmother her princess grandma um she was also famous within her own right um she was mainly self-taught and this actually goes to helena herself um because helena basically comes because her grandma is self-taught in all these languages she teaches helena all these other the same languages plus some and i think this is kind of where she kind of gets her like spiritualist journey type thing is she's mainly self-taught in this um because i mean at the time Colleges didn't allow women. So her grandmother was self-taught, even though her coming from an aristocratic family. Um, But her grandmother spoke five different languages herself. Um, She was huge into botany and archaeology. In in scientist circles at the time, her writings alone were kind of seen as like huge and big deals. Uh, She, her work was, I mean, her work was obviously recognized by a lot of people, but um, Alexander von Humboldt, um, he's kind of like a major correspondence with her grandma and like 
kind of getting her work out there besides like just Russia to kind of get it to the other side of Europe um, at the time. Um, basically in every biography that you read about Helena, it, there is such focus on her Russian side. Um, the book I'm reading even goes into her Viking and Scandinavian side of her family kind of briefly um but her family is also french and german her dad's side of the family is mainly german her father and her grandfather her mom's dad were military men um so just like anything else when you're in the military you kind of move around um this kind of plays into her nomadic lifestyle later in life um her mother hated being nomadic hated it um i was actually reading that part in the book before we actually jumped on to do this was about how much her mother hated the nomadic military lifestyle absolutely hated it but the french side of her family actually comes from her mother's side um her great-grandfather prince paul um, married a countess henrietta de police um, her father was actually a refugee from France um, and served in Catherine the Great's court. So that's where the French part of her family comes in with kind of like her looks and stuff like that. But basically their daughter, Prince Paul and the Countess, their daughter was her grandmother. I'm, I'm giving up using everybody's Helena names. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. Um, and then her grandmother, Larry... Le later marries andre fed yet um he's kind of an administrative field um he would later serve as a governor of a province where everything kind of like stabilizes for her life um but yeah she's kind of got a military nomadic lifestyle her mother absolutely hates it um she does have a brother that passes away super early in life while they are traveling around um and she does have one sister so we're not really going to talk about them, but we do have that. Um, but like I've said, her moving around, they think this is what kind of plays into her part of her being so nomadic in her life. That is mainly what we're going to be talking about. This woman literally traveled the fucking globe. Um, yeah. Yeah. So here we're about to start. <laughs> so in 1837... Her grandfather is assigned to become a trustee for the Kalamuk people um, of Central Asia. Um, this is kind of in a time in her life where her mother separates from her father. Not like divorce separates, but she's like, I've about had it with moving all the time. I'm going to go to where I know my dad is not going to be moved for like a good six plus months. Because that's like the major thing that her mom hated was like, she'd get comfortable, make all these friendships with people, and then she'd hear the dreaded word of, well, we're being transferred type thing. So she knew with her her dad getting like this trustee position, she wouldn't have to move. Basically what happens is at this time, her and her mom and her dad are up in St. Petersburg. Her grandfather has to come to St. Petersburg to get his orders anyway. So when they get to St. Petersburg, her mom and her kind of join everybody, leave the dad in St. Petersburg, and go off to um, wherever these Kalamek people are. They, while they're there, they befriend the leader, Prince Tumen. 
he has his own story about being involved with the Russian army. I'm not going to go into that. Um, but basically, the print they were practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, and while she's there, she gets super fascinated with how they practice and everything. And this kind of starts her spiritual journey because this is the first major experience that she has that's not like Russian Orthodox. So this moment in her life is major. Um, about a year later... They, in 1838, her and her mom moved to Plavona um, to be with her, her husband. Um, she taught Helena how to play piano and how to dance. She got her into dance, some dance classes. Um, they next moved to Odyssea. Um, this is a major, like, center for her family. <laughs> is Odyssea. <laughs> like, she travels. This is one thing I find is, like, she travels so far. And she comes back to this Odyssey. Like, she figures out how to get into my Tibet. Goes back to Odyssey. Like, it's, it's this weird focal point for her family. Um, but, unfortunately, her mother is in poor health. Um, she does learn English while she's there from a British governess. Um, they next move to Servonia, um, where one of her younger brothers is born. Um, then they go back to Poland. Then they go back to Odyssey. Um, but unfortunately her mom does die of tuberculosis in June of 1847 at the age of 28. Um, her mom actually does have Helena at like 16 and there's a major age gap between her mom and her dad. Like I'm talking major age gap. Well, that was a common thing back then though is, and you know, not saying it's not weird by our standards or it might not have been weird by those standards, but. That was such a common thing back in the day, though. It's just... Yeah. They weren't really worried about the age gap, or there was no just thing as a, a thought process on age gap. It was, a, hey, this man can take care of you. This person... And it, the weird thing is, though, to me, is that it's always an older man and a younger woman. Yeah. Which, there's a huge power dynamic there, and there's other issues that I have with it, but that was the cultural norm at the time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a lot of the cultural norms will come into play later on. Um, but basically, after her mom passes away, she goes to live with her princess grandma in Stavonia, um, where her grandpa at the time is governor. Um, while she is staying with her grandparents, she discovers a personal library of her great-grandfather, Prince Havil. Um, he did contain a, um, a huge variety of books, and this kind of encourages her interest in a lot of growing topics her great-grandfather was a freemason he belonged to the right of strict observance um it is around this time that she starts to have these visions of a mysterious indian man um and she actually would later on meet this man in the flesh she finds out that he's not just like this mysterious man um he is actually a real person now depending on which source you have what i'm about to say kind of differs depending depending on where you go some say that she went to her with her father to britain however in her sister's memoirs her sister does not mention this so and this is where i'm going to say due to her traveling a lot of by herself 
there's no second accounts of Helena's travels. So a lot of what I'm about to say, we have to take at face value of this is just what she has said. We don't really have something to back this up in any way of her travels, how she got in Tibet, like all this stuff. Um, but she does end up after, um, being with her grandparents for a while, she does end up living with her aunt Wyatt. Um, and her aunt actually, one of her famous children is, I think a prime minister for Russia, I think. Um, huh. yeah, there's like famous people everywhere in her tree. But after staying with her aunt for a while, she goes to Tafilis, Georgia, um, the actual country, not the U.S. state. Um, <laughs> I feel like I have to put that in there for our U.S. listeners. This is a country outside of the U.S. This is not the state above Florida. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, that's where her grandfather is stationed at this time. She forms a relationship with Alexander Vamirovich Galison. Um, he's a Russian Freemason, and he basically kind of encourages her enoseric, um interests and stuff. Um, also, she still claims that she's having paranormal experiences. Um, she's astral projecting, she's astral traveling, and she's still having visits from this mysterious Indian. At the age of 17, she does marry Nikflor Vanmarich um, Volvatsky. Volv- these names um this man was in his 40s um he was a vice governor for a province um no one really knows why she actually married him but she would go on to later say in her other later um autobiographies that she married him because of his belief in magic um they do not have any kids (laughs) but i think it's funny that shortly before the ceremony she tries to get out of it She's like backpedaling. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. This is not what I want to do. Um, but they do unfortunately get married on the 7th of July in 1848. After they get married, they move to Sadar Palace. Um, here she makes a lot of unsuccessful attempts to return to wherever her family is. And eventually he just gives up and lets her go. Like, all right, I give, you can go back to your family. Um, so her family sent her um, a sermon and maid to accompany her back to Odyssea um, to meet up with her father. And then her and her father would go to St. Petersburg together. Um, so her escorts got her as far as Potney. Um, and then they took a ship to Kursk. Um And then... Around this time, Bovatsky would claim that she bribed everybody in order to get out from underneath her maid and stuff. So that way she could travel unaccompanied. And by bribing everybody and getting out from everybody, this starts her nine years of travel unaccompanied. Like I said before, we have to take her word for it of her travels um, cause even in her diaries, there's kind of conflicting crying, um, conflicting events of what's happening and whatnot. Um, but it, we're not here to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so after she escapes, her escorts 
Um, she travels to Constantinople. Um, for those who don't know, Constantinople is Istanbul today. Um, so she develops a friendship with Hungarian opera singer um, Aguri Mechevich. Um, she first encounters him while saving him from being murdered. Um, she also meets Countess Sovadia, Sofia Keselavia. Um, she would later accompany the Countess on a tour of Egypt, Greece, and Eastern Europe. So after that's kind of done, in 1851, she travels to Paris. This is where she meets mesmerist Victor Michael Machille. Um, Von Frankenstein? <laughs> um, so after she goes to Paris, she goes to England. Um, and this is where she meets the mysterious Indian man of her dreams. It turns out to be a Hindu man that she constantly refers to as Master Moria. M-O-R-Y-A. Moria? Moria? Moria. Moria? <laughs> Moria. Moria. I don't know. Um, this is one of a few masters that she does talk about. Depending on what source you read, they either meant in London or Ramsgate. Either way, she mentions that she has a, he has a special mission for her and he has to travel she has to travel to Tibet. Um, so she makes her way to Asia via the Americas, and this is kind of where she stops in America for the first time. Um, she stops in Canada. Um, where she kind of seeks out Native American communities of Quebec um, after reading the journals of Jamar Friedmore. Um, she kind of, I'm guessing to understand, is she kind of wanted to meet like a shaman type person, but unfortunately was robbed instead. So then she goes south. She goes to New Orleans, Texas, Mexico, and then she goes to the Andes. Um, once she gets to the Andes, she gets on a ship that goes to the West Indies, um, then to Cologne and then to Bombay. Um, then she spent the next two years traveling in India alone, following the the instructions of Master Moria. <laughs> um, and he would send her instructions via letters. Um, she tries to get in Tibet, but unfortunately was denied by the British colonial um, administration. So she laid, she then claims that she heads back to Europe via ship. Um, that ship gets wrecked off the Cape of Good Hope, which is the southern part of Africa. But she arrives in England in 1854. Um, it's kind of a hostile environment because there is a war. In, uh, England is at war with Russia at the time. Um, but she claims that she starts becoming a um, concert musician at the Royal Philharmonic Society. Um she then goes to the U.S. She meets Albert um, Rosson. Rosson. Um, she meets him for the second time. She does meet him on her travels to Cairo. Um, but she then tours Chicago, Salt Lake City, and San Francisco. Um, then she travels back to India via Japan. This is her second time to get in Tibet. Um, this time, she claims that she is successful. Because she's accompanied by a Tatar shaman who's attempting to reach Siberia. He thinks that she can actually get him where she needs to go. Or no. He thinks she can get him where he needs to go. And she thinks he can get him where she needs to go. Um, but basically, that's how they get into um, Tibet. Unfortunately, she does get lost. <laughs> she meets up with a traveling Tatar group and they kind of head her back to normal 
to um, India, and then she goes back to Europe. So she returns to France and Germany um, in 1858 uh, to spend time with her family. Um, during this time, she says that she starts exhibiting either um, even more paranormal abilities with rapping um, and constant creaking sounds wherever she's going. Um, and then in... 1860, she travels with her sister to visit their maternal grandmother in Tephilis. Um, This is where she meets up with her husband and they kind of reconcile. Um, they adopt a child named Yuri. Unfortunately, the child dies at the age of five. Um, and he is buried under her husband's surname. Um, in 1864, Helena falls off of a horse um, and goes into a coma for several months following a spinal fracture. Um, she says that after she wakes up from this coma, she has gained full control of all of her paranormal abilities. So yeah. Um, she does some more traveling across Europe. Um, uh, in 1867, she claims that she was in a, uh, the battle of Maton Matonia and she gets injured in that battle. We're going to go back to Tibet. So she's known for being, she's, she's known for her account of Tibet, of the monasteries and stuff like that. This is a weird journey that we're about to go into. Um, so while she's in, a, in Tibet, the first time, I think, or maybe this is the second time. Yeah, this is the second time after she gets lost the first time. This is the second time she's back in Tibet. Um, she gets a message back to Master Moria. And she gets a message from him to join him in Constantinople. So they meet up. They travel back to Tibet, going through Turkey, Persia, and Afghanistan. Um, and they stayed in the home of one of his friends, Master Kuhut Homi, Hiomi, which he was actually near a monastery and like a major Tibetan monastery. Um, and so by her account, this is kind of where she learns everything um, because the master Kahoot Hayomi, um, he, he taught Tibetan Buddhism. So she claims while she was there, she was taught an unknown language known as Sinsar. So she helps the monks at the monastery translate a number of the texts and helps them preserve them. Um, she does state that she's actually not allowed in the monastery itself. Because um, but she's she, a woman? yes, I think so. But she claims that during this time, both Master Ma Moria and Kahoot Hayomi basically help her control all of her psychic powers. So they, you know, her clairvoyance, her telepathy, um, how to astral project and do it safely. Um, so she claims that she's on the spiritual retreat from 1868 to 1870. Um, but like I've said, we a lot of historians have a really hard time believing what she is saying because um, there's nothing to back up what she has said. But what they think happens is because Tibet was basically closed off mainly to Europeans, um, and if they did get in, they faced a lot of bandits and a very harsh terrain. So they think what happened is she went in from a neighboring country um, because the neighboring countries were open to pilgrims and traders. So they think the fact that she went with Master um, Moria that 
that is how she was able to get in was being with him she kind of was like a pilgrim in a way um and that she might have been mistaken as someone of asian descent i mean technically she was asian yeah so the wrong kind of asian yeah (laughs) so i'm i'm learning that the more i read about her you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt kind of take it with however you want to take it yeah i mean while i uh, agree with some of her methodologies and you know i've i've read a few of her books and yeah oh boy uh they are something interesting to read but while i have read a few of her books there are certain things that don't rightly line up and there are certain things that how do I put this? <laughs> Our complete and utter asinine hogwash. Mm-hmm. There are other certain things that are legitimate and that have definite occult foundation in them uh, through practices of stuff that I have done, things that have been done by other people and have been well documented. So, like you said, take some of the stuff she says with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, as with everything with this. Yeah. You know, it's just like science. Try it yourself. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> no, you, you laugh. I'm being serious. Yeah. Like, no, I know you're being serious. It's just, yeah. Because some of her... Some of her accounts are just kind of out there. But if she is to be believed, she is basically the most traveled person of the time um because not a lot of people got into tibet let alone a monastery um so in 1870 after her time in the monastery she basically comes out with a new mission she wants to prove to the world the new phenomenon identified by the spiritualists basically the spiritualist movement that all that stuff is in fact real however she contradicts a lot of that when she comes up against other quote mediums and she says that they're fake so I don't know what we're trying to prove here. <laughs> so, You're not a real medium. I'm the real medium and I can yeah. prove it. Yeah. Um, I could prove it by reading your mind and telling that you're not actually being a medium. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was a lot of that. Um, so, because she's, st- this is why it's, it's a little weird. So she states that the entities being contacted by the spiritualist mediums were not in fact spirits of the dead, but in fact, um, they were either mischievous, mischievous elementals or the quote shells left behind by the deceased. Kind of confusing what all that means, but well, so elementals uh, are spirits or spiritual forces that exist on one of the elemental planes. Yeah. In other words, like you know, some sort of like fire being or something like that yeah uh as far as the husks like uh i would yeah i got the elemental part but i was like the shells of the deceased i was like that's a little well that depends on how you break down the spirit and i could we could go on forever yeah if you break down the spirit into a certain way i can see how that makes sense but yeah, uh, we won't go into all that. <laughs> Not today. Um, 
So she proceeds to sail to Greece via the Suez Canal. She meets up with another master, Master Hilarion. Um, they then set sail for Egypt um, via the SS Hermonia. Um, however, in 1871, the ship exploded and she's one of 16 survivors. Then this is where her whole like contradictory thing happens. So like when she gets to Cairo, she um, helps set up like a medium place with this woman named Emma Cutting. Um, however, um, she thinks that Emma's a fraud and she closes the place down two weeks later. Um, and the form of spiritualism that she kind of gets into is the one that's founded by Alan Kardec. Um, and his form of spiritualism is mainly focused on incarnation, reincarnation. So, yeah. So she meets up with her friend, um, Madil Metrovich. Um, the person that she meets before her husband, um, he unfortunately dies of typhoid while visiting her. Um, she then travels to like Syria, Palestine, and Lebanon. Um, and that's where she, um, encounters the Druze religion. Um, in 1872, she returns to her family in Odyssea. Again, Odyssea. Um, and then in April of 1873, she departs. Um, she goes to a couple places, um, before she goes to Europe or before she comes to America. Um, and this is kind of where she takes root in America for a while. Um, she arrives in New York, um, on July 8th, 1873. Um, and she takes up normal, like middle school woman jobs, you know, sewing and advertising. And she catches the attention of journalist Anna Ballard. Um, she is a journalist that works for the New York paper, the sun. Um, this is the earliest written record where she claims to get into the Tibetan monastery. Um, but it is unfortunately not long after she, she does arrive in New York. Her father does pass away and she inherits a huge fortune. Um, in December of 1874, she meets Georginian Michael, but, but Annalie, basically he becomes obsessed with her and asks her to marry him unfortunately she is still married to her first husband at the time so this becomes polygamy or those who don't know when you're still married to one person and married to somebody else polly married polly um basically um unfortunately um he later um divorces her because she will not consummate the marriage um and we'll kind of get into her sexuality probably a little bit later while she's in new york she hears um the news story about women William and Haruto Eddie um, becomes very intrigued. So she travels up to Vermont where they're at to kind of see what they're about. Um, this is where she meets Henry Steele Olcott. So we're going to kind of take a big pot. We're going to kind of talk about them for a minute and then we're going to kind of back up. Um, so basically Henry was there to write a story about the brothers. He gets very fascinated by Helena Um and kind of writes a piece about her instead. Um, but after that, they become very close friends. Um, he, she convinces him to um, become celibate and a vegetarian. Even though she herself was not always vegetarian. <laughs> it's whatever. You know, you can <laughs> convince people a lot of interesting things if you know how to do it. Yes. Um, um, so... The two of them in 1875 visit uh, mediums Nelson and Jeannie Owen in Philly. 
Um, she believes that they're not real. He does. Um, but basically, after this, they start their own um, circular, the spiritual scientists. Or no, they publish something in the spiritual scientists. They call themselves the Brotherhood of Lexor. Um, and from encouraging of the masters, they established the Miracle Club. Um, and through this, they meet William Curran Judge. Curran Judge. He's an Irish um, spiritualist. Um, so basically the three of them in September of 1875, um, the group that they call becomes the, the society that she's known for. And the society itself, that's where we're going to pause the society. A lot of her life at that point kind of gets very intertwined, especially her books and stuff like that. That gets very much intertwined. And kind of like the latter part of her life does get intertwined with the society because like she retires and stuff like that so i think that's going to be our pause point for this so that way as we talk about the society in the later part of her life um it won't seem a little weird so um but yeah she she had a very very interesting life helena velatsky Velasky. That's the fucking name for sure. She <laughs> traveled literally all over. Um, she's a very cultured woman. She she did not like to take shit from no one. Um, but I think that'd be a good stopping point. Um, because you can't take the society out of her life. You can't really talk about one without the other. Um, so, cause I will, I'm going to be doing more research on the society themselves. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> this is the second part of this episode. So we did not do this last time, but so we're going to kind of pull two tarot cards and kind of see where they go. I can pull two if you want me to. I can pull one. Uh, I just gotta go grab my tarot cards and then... I was like, I, I've got mine right here. I'll pull one. Okay. Give me a minute. Let me go grab a deck. I was like, go for it. Let's see how this rolls. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so, we figured instead of for these episodes, instead of doing our book reviews at the end of the episode, we both pull a tarot card and we would kind of see what that would mean between episodes kind of like a horoscope type thing kind of sort of i fucking i found a night before christmas deck oh actually it wasn't that bad so i'm more of an oracle fan myself but i will be pulling a tarot card <laughs> i might in the future use an oracle deck you can do whatever you want but we'll see you can do whatever you want because i they would play on each other, so you can. Yeah. Okay. So it's upside down. The four of needles. I'm assuming it's gonna be like the four of swords. I think so. I think so. I don't have my thing. I think so. I think it's like the Nightmare Before Christmas version, and it's upside down. I think that's what it means. Wands. 
wands. Nope, that's cups. I don't need cups. Swords. I said four, right? Yep. Vigilant retreat solitude. So when it's upside down, does that mean it's reversed? So some people do not do reverse readings, but typically, yes, that means that it's reversed. Huh. Okay. So wise administration, economy, precaution, and testament. So what did you pull, sir? I pulled the four of discs or four of coins, four of pentacles, regardless of, or depending on who you ask and what deck you're using. Uh, so I am using the Patchman tarot deck, which Patchman is a really fun, interesting, animated uh, <laughs> series on YouTube, where, at least that's where I found it, where they talk about spirituality and different things. Some of the things are just, like, ideas and philosophies. Some of it are, you know, some pretty far out there things um but i like a lot of the information they share and i think it's interesting uh so i bought the tarot deck that they have um <laughs> you would well so, so the they actually send you a pdf of uh -huh. the book instead of like if you're gonna go through the book where you know a lot of other tarot decks just have like a little book like you have in your hand yeah and this is a, like a 500 page PDF. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the four of coins are pentacles. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's look here. Uh, this represents a need to move slowly and deliberately if change is required. As the, um, as the consequences will affect more than just him or herself. That makes a lot of sense. So, in other words, move slowly, be cautious. Yeah. Uh, take note of what you're doing. Well, because like, if you go into the normal meanings of the Four of Swords, it's like retreat and solitude, hermit's repose. So it's like retreat very carefully. With whatever you're doing, if that's what you're going to do over the next couple of weeks? Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say pull back, strategically pull back and be reserved in where you need to be reserved. Yeah. Don't show all your cards. Don't let them yep. see everything that's going oh, there on. There they are. All my cards. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. For our listeners, I just pulled up. Pulled up <laughs> just like, oh, this whole tarot card deck. I'm yeah. a freaking loon. So, so, yeah. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Waver Dragons. Um, we do have YouTube available. I do post unboxing videos for those who want to know what's in the Mindful Souls boxes. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe. And please tell a friend. We are now on Amazon and on iHeartRadio. Um, along with the normal podcasting platforms. So until next time. I'm Kelsey. <laughs> I'm Johnny. Bye. Bye. <laughs>